This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by NTT Research. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, October 22nd, 2020. And I'm joined by three guests this week. Yes, three guests. I have Kazugomi, the president and CEO of NTT Research here. Hi, Kazu. How are you? Hi. Uh, good to see you, Miriam. And I have uh, Greg Doden, who is the IOWN marketing chair. Hi, Greg. How are you? Good. How are you, Miriam? I'm excellent. Uh, my third guest is Matteo Doni, who will be joining us a little later. I told you last week, folks, that I was going to have a bit of a special show, and I think uh, you'll know why in a second. Those two folks with us today are going to talk about the future of networking. We're going to talk about where networking goes from here, basically. You know, today we have wired networks, wireless networks, wired networks are kind of defined in terms of state-of-the-art by crazy fiber optics, backhaul, and things like that. And then we have, of course, 5G. But, you know, even when I was in Shenzhen last summer visiting Huawei, there was already talk of 6G. And, of course, we just got LT on the moon this week. So there is all kinds of interesting topics that I would love to pick your brains on. So, yeah, let's get started. Like, where do you think... We're going to be at, say, in five years with networking. What are the challenges? What are the things that we're working on now to, to enable whatever pie-in-the-sky craziness that our imaginations are bringing in? Yeah, so let me start. Um, obviously, that the five years from now, more per- pervasive network um, Availabilities around the world, and then you mentioned about moon. I don't think we can get there <laughs> that quickly, but uh, and a more pervasive and more bandwidth. That's the uh, I think obviously that everybody's thinking about now. I think you know when it comes to it, uh, we just ha- also have to have uh, good applications, and I think I, we we definitely are at the stage where you know, 5G is coming into the market and uh, we have number of applications being talked about, but within five years, I'm sure that those things are really coming into the play and everybody uses that. So I'm looking forward to that, uh, the stage that those applications, the first wave of applications are certainly embraced uh, in five years and then we will probably start seeing the next wave or third wave or whatever. Uh, I would expect something like that. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, obviously, you know, we, we kind of touched on this before we recorded the show on how, you know, 5G is obviously critical and, and welcome by I think pretty much everyone. Uh, but it is a little difficult for uh, the average consumer to wrap their heads around. And I think because it's, you know, that chicken and egg problem, uh, we saw that with 4G, right? Where we have all these great applications that uh, 5G has enabled, but... Um, the customers, you know, didn't get that right away, and nobody knew at the time when, when it started, what where we would go. So, with five G, the, there's a lot more marketing, and it costs a lot more money to buy devices with five G right now, especially in a difficult worldwide global economy. So, how do we keep the public enthusiastic about things like six G and and fiber to the home and and things like that? Thoughts on that, Greg, maybe? Yeah, I, you know, I think Kazu started to touch on 
um, some of those points. Um, what you know he was referring to in terms of application-based uh, models that are really driving consumer adoption. Uh, right. You know, w- when you're looking at what people are doing right now in the COVID situation, mm-hmm. you're finding that um, cloud gaming is increasingly on the rise. So if, if you have fiber, um, great, no problem. If you don't have fiber, uh, then 5G and, you know, connectivity protocols and connectivity technologies that are coming down the path give you the opportunity to have connectivity with much lower latency. So you're not getting any of the jitter or any of the lag that, you know, make gaming difficult and make it more difficult if you're doing cloud gaming to compete with your friends over, over the, uh, over the air. So there's some, you know, there's some entertainment based applications that will come into play that will require maybe a change in uh, how people think of, think of the network, think of how the cloud's used. You'll have more uh, local cloud or edge-based devices that, you know, help improve or help reduce the amount of latency that, you know, is any application. Um, autonomous driving will need the same type of implementation so that you have uh, some processing happening on the car, but, you know, the, the network capable of uh, doing all kinds of processing that feed information back to the car. So I think that as these applications uh, become more robust and become uh, part of an individual's everyday life, then that will drive people to better connectivity like 5G. And, it, and since we're, you know, I, I mentioned COVID a little earlier, yeah. those of us that have kids, you know, that are, are sending kids off to school, either K through 12 or, or university, you know, you're seeing uh, applications like education where if you have just um, connectivity, you know, fi- fiber or whatever, you can deliver a very two-dimensional learning experience. But when you start improving the type of connectivity that you're going to be able to deliver using technologies like 5G and beyond uh, that have ultra-high reliability, that have you know lower latency, then one of the things that you're able to do is start providing much more immersive experiences. So not necessarily a two-dimensional learning experience, but like a three-dimensional learning experience. With like VR, AR, and other experiences for sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, we know all this. Again, it's, it's been part of the marketing for quite a while, right? So right. on one hand, it's like, um, I think, you know, people are more acutely aware of this kind of disconnect that existed with 3G and 4G of, you know, build the technology and they will come, right? Like the 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 applications, the the innovation, right? We know as from an engineering perspective, myself as an engineer, I, I understand what 5G and fiber and even, you know, maybe uh, other technologies that are being worked on will bring to improve that, the, the potential for applications. And but and I think my audience is pretty tech savvy. Yeah, there are a lot of early adopters listening right now, and I think they understand the benefits of five G, and and they do understand that yeah, economics are challenging because it's very expensive to deploy new networking technology, whether it be wired or wireless, and even more wired, right? And so they also understand that you know if the terminals, like the devices, the phones are going to cost more, and the plans, you know, the plans are a little different. I think that the the it's it's the carrier's job or the operator job to kind of like absorb some of that cost I think otherwise uh, you know it becomes a problem but I feel like 
the bigger challenge is going to be the mainstream. And what I'm curious from, for, to hear from you folks is challenges around bringing you know, 5G and the backhaul needed for 5G to really shine. You know, that's, that's I think, the challenge right now is we're seeing 5G, but it's not performing better than 4G. And of course, it will eventually. But, you know, when we did get 4G, it was significantly faster than 3G right from the get-go, even though it's killed our batteries, right? <laughs> that's something that somehow the manufacturers and uh, technologists have solved. And 5G seems to be very good at efficiency right now even in its first year with the devices that are available. But I think that, you know, we're not seeing quite that thing. And there is, of course, all that promise with millimeter wave in general, right? Like not just 5G millimeter wave, but I think millimeter wave in in, in many in its many forms uh, as we go forward. Uh, like I really believe next NR, right? What we're developing today, what Qualcomm's been working on, Huawei's been working on is from an engineering point of view, like tremendous. And I think that it's going to plan foundations for decades of what we can do with wireless, right? Yeah, um, certainly those millimeter waves and then uh, and all that, those technology allowed uh, higher bandwidth. And then uh, what that means is more, uh, more users, more endpoints so that you can cover uh, from the single base stations and all that, but uh, uh, as you know, from the tech point of view, the uh, issue is that it doesn't travel very far. So, exactly uh, right. So we need to have uh, more density of uh, base station, which is uh, in a way the troublesome uh, from the uh, infrastructure investment point of view. So yeah, th that's the uh, that's the kind of play name of the game uh, that we are playing right now. But, uh, well, it is what it is. I think that will give more bandwidth. At the end of the day, I think infrastructure's provider's point of view, the future is that uh, more bandwidth and a more affordable price to the, to the end users. And then that's, that will create the new application, uh, like Craig mentioned. So, so that's what it is. But uh, yeah, it is a bit of, um, but certainly this 5G's biggest problem is that uh, that um, I think a density we have to cover uh, with that the base stations. So right. um, eventually, I my personal opinion, you know, more application. So this is definitely a chicken and egg, and more applications yeah. <laughs> are you know flourishing. More people use, and then that should cover that will you know justify the business model moving forward from there. So how to kind of go over this? initial part of this chicken and egg problem that but once that is you know uh overcome uh the rest is should be easier but i think when i look at the situations i think most of the infrastructure providers are understanding uh, this nature of it and uh, yeah, yeah. most of them are kind of embracing this thing and then let's just get going. Let's just make an investment. Yeah, I see a lot of TV commercials that, uh, you know, <laughs> we have the biggest coverage of the 5G. So, yes, that's the, yeah, that's a good spirit, I think, for to to overcome this uh, issue. Yeah, so, and we're talking, right now we're just talking about the consumer market, right? So there's, if you look at um industrial iot and you look at industrial applications for and v2v as well yeah yeah absolutely i mean these types of technologies are really where 5g shines and you talk to a lot of um 
companies and enterprise entities that are interested in local 5G for a number of reasons, you know, being able to have better control over their data, for example. I mean, I think it's going to revolutionize robotics. Like I think, oh, absolutely. you know, like that, like setting up a factory today is a nightmare because of wired connectivity. And mm-hmm. if you have low latency, you know, connectivity, that solves the whole problem, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that also helps contribute to, you know, what Kazu was talking about in terms of the price curve, right? So if you're, if you didn't have a model that was going to enable industrial applications and enterprise applications, and you're relying all on consumer, which you know wasn't the case with 4G either, you'd you'd have different price curves. But as you're rolling this out to address not just communication issues, but all kinds of connectivity issues for more data-centric computing, then you do change the pricing model and you make it possible to deploy um, 5G and beyond networks that leverage technologies like you know future technologies like silicon photonics and the like to provide pipes that you know are capable of carrying much larger data buckets you know with much more reduced latency and at a higher reliability. I appreciate that you were kind of steering in the direction I was going there. That's awesome. Um, actually, you know, it's interesting because, you know, this is a consumer podcast. Obviously, my audience is consumers mostly, but I have lots of engineers and scientists listening too. And obviously, they're, they're interested in hearing about what is going to be happening beyond consumer for these networking technologies. And, and I think optical technologies for transmitting data and connectivity and networking in general just like there is with millimeter wave, you know, incredible potential and growth in the next few decades. I think we're, we're just, aren't we just scratching the surface of what we can do with optics right now? Yeah, you, you can say that. Uh, optics, certainly we, it has, uh, well, over the years that uh, the speed of uh, adding bandwidth on the single fiber optics has, is, is just tremendous. And then we reached uh, to uh uh, well, close to the telebit of uh, the the capacity we can we can certainly carry, but we can probably do a little more. And then uh, the beauty of the fiber optics is that uh, you know just the, each single fiber optics is like a you know whole space of uh, for the wireless. So if you can add more fibers and then you, you can shove in more bits into the fiber. That's uh, and then you know if you cannot shove in more fi- uh, bits in the fiber, you can get another fiber uh, physically. Right. So 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 <laughs> yes. it's easier to easier to add the add the add the bandwidth. Uh, so that's obviously the, I think everybody understands the nature of it. But um, at this point, that uh, we are looking at you know what what's the next stage for the fiber optics, and uh, you know not just adding a fiber and and again this is. Again, not not necessarily new, but you can add more uh, wavelength into the single fibers. So right. th- that's another way to shove in more bits into that uh, uh, to the fiber. So uh, we're looking at uh, uh, with the silicon photonics technologies coming into the picture as well, and uh, so we, we can certainly get to the points that if you have a very specific need for the low latencies and high bandwidth. We can allocate end to end, say the one wavelength for you, and then you can get the just just amazing, enormous amount of bits and bandwidth that you can get, and then uh, you can certainly achieve a very very super low latency, uh, uh, you know, 
with regard to the one end one end of the fiber to the other end of the fiber. It could right. be thousands and thousands of miles. Super low latency uh, te- um, transmission lines that you can create. So, so those are the things that we are certainly aiming at. And uh, so, not, you know, five G is typically just uh, for the wireless portion, but the backhaul is certainly makes a difference as well uh, when you uh, talk about the end-to-end application uh, performance and so on. So, for so sure. those are those are actually coming in, and uh, uh, many technology uh, companies like uh, like NTT and uh, Intel uh, working together and with other partners uh, towards that direction. That's fantastic. We'll talk a little bit more about about what NTNT Research and Ion are bringing to the table. But I would love to hear your thought on a problem that I think we all, we being the audience listening, we all are concerned about right now, which is the kind of like rural internet, like bringing the internet to everyone in the world. You know, uh, whether it be uh, developed countries like the U.S. or in in other parts of the world where the the, the budgets are, are much different, right? So how do we make that happen? Because, you know, obviously every time we think of a cable of some kind or a wire or a fiber, you have to worry about, you know, incredible costs to deploy that technology, especially on distances like the country of the United States, right? We have, uh, <laughs> uh, it's a lot of money to bring out fiber to the middle of the desert for maybe a population of 100 people or 1,000 people. So, you know, obviously wireless, immediately you think in your head, well, wireless can solve this millimeter wave you know microwaves have been around forever to, as a backhaul tool and of course you know we do not need the kind of density um, and a number of devices on the network in these locations as we do in the middle of a stadium right so there are technologies at scale to f- facilitate that but it still seems to be uh, like an obstacle i think it you know some of it is political some of it is marketing how do you solve this because i think as engineer scientists folks in this industry we all want what's best for the entire world which is that everyone be connected and have access to knowledge education and communication right so how how do we fix this what are the technologies you think that could come along that could be like okay this is gonna really crank things up to the next level for this kind of problem solving i i think that uh, that the problem you just put on the table is a is actually a very big problem, right? That uh, technology certainly is uh, one aspect we can solve, and then and then yeah, as you mentioned, that the type of technology everybody thinks of, of to solve this problem is that the wireless uh, approach, which is much cheaper to deploy uh, that right. the bandwidth, but. In reality, that is just one part of the equations. Uh, certainly, you know, there are so many, uh, like you mentioned, the political thing. And I think the biggest hurdle is a, a, a business model, that the economy, how to, who's going to pay for it. And then yeah, what? Right. And, and then when it comes to that, um, certainly that, uh, um, you know, I don't know what's the right way to say it, but the standard of, of living so different in uh that part of the world, uh, most likely, and uh, so mm-hmm. that type of application, um, I think, I say people in the United States enjoy, may not be there, <laughs> may not be applicable no, for, for sure. those people. Yeah. So yeah, therefore, yeah. the usage level is uh, quite different from uh, US to there, uh, kind of thing. But I'm kind of thinking a little bit different way, um, more more connected world, 
And then also when you think about that, uh, you know, global warmings and everything that people are worrying about, um, uh, well, we need a little more dense sensor systems around the world. And um, I, I, I'm not the environmentalist, but I'm sure that, that there are some impact uh, there that in the middle of the desert that we should measure something and that we should get something, <laughs> yes. you know. So <laughs> we should measure everything. <laughs> we should measure everything. And again, technology-wise, it's it's uh, it's doable. So something I'm just kind of making up here <laughs> because you just <laughs> mentioned it. But uh, to justify some of those uh, business model, we put, we can put more sensor sensory systems around the, around the globe and then. You know, we need to connect them around, and uh, that's one way to certainly, uh, you know, justify or or it could be justifiable of uh, investments and all that. And uh, so, so that's my kind of sort of thinking process now uh, to this problem. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it is. I think the biggest thing is how to support those uh, investment. We definitely need the initial investment. And uh, which, no matter which technology you use, it's not going to be cheap. So, yeah, no, for sure, right? Yeah, there's so, nothing we can do. Yeah, some seed money that we have to justify. And uh, one of the thing is that how to protect the whole earth and that kind of thing is uh, one, I think, interesting idea to do. <laughs> no, that I think is absolutely critical. I mean, uh, you know, we have to worry about conserving our resources and we have to worry about the environment as we develop these technologies. And, you know, and we have to think about how it affects people as well. And, and, and we can't always predict these things, but, but I think it's, it's really important. And I'm glad to hear that, you know, you guys are already thinking about this stuff. Craig, maybe you can answer this question. Shoot. Are there any things that wireless cannot do yet that you think need to be solved uh, with maybe, you know, 6G or whatever the next, are we starting to see things that we know don't exist in our 5G standards today that we're dreaming up that could even bring on some more craziness in the future? Like, I'm sure that when 4G was being rolled out 10 years ago, Qualcomm was already working on millimeter wave in some way or another, right? So... Is there anything like that you guys are aware of as the futurists of networking? Uh, well, NTT R&D recently had um, an R&D summit. I think it was like two weeks ago. And some of the you know conversational topics that surfaced were next generation um, encryption technologies, uh, you know, for protecting privacy, uh, di different use cases around um, quantum computing and the like, that's not directly related to uh, 5G or 6G or, or whatever. I think when I look at 5G, I look at it more as uh, kind of the, a starting point. Right. Um, so you're, you're starting to deliver, you, you're at the level where you have the ability to deliver fat enough pipe, low enough latency, um, high enough reliability so that you're starting to introduce different kinds of use cases, you know, and I've talked a little bit about some of the industrial and some of the consumer ones. Um, I think as you have component technologies uh, come into play, you know, better lasers, you know, whatever it is that you're using 
on the infrastructure level to deliver kind of a backhaul to capabilities, also different ways of deploying and using uh, cloud technologies, whether it's a local cloud or, or you know, a, a server farm, those will change the way in which um, the network capabilities are utilized. And that will help um, prioritize what types of features uh, network technology providers, you know, companies like Intel, you know, Broadcom, Qualcomm, whomever, whomever, and then network service providers, um, companies like NTT and, and the like, will need to deliver to customers. And that will define, you know, what goes into, say, the 6G bucket. So, right. you know, one of the, one of the main things that you hear about is, you know, how are we going to improve the data capabilities of the network. And, you know, with 6G, you're expecting that you'll have even higher data capabilities than you do with 5G. Yes. We're focused, if you're looking at, you know, the work that ION is doing, we're focusing on developing an all-photonics network by um, 2030. And the reason for that, you know, and Kaza touched on it a little bit, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do with the network. The network itself can become a sensor device. And, you know, it can help in doing things like predicting earthquakes, you know, and who knows, you might even be able to use it for contact tracing at some levels. You know, and there's a number of different uh, standards organizations that are working on this problem. But I think it, you know, I think it becomes kind of the marriage of, you know, what are the core technologies that are enabling the fatter pipe with lower latency? Um. What are the use cases either at the consumer level, you know, autonomous driving gets thrown around a lot, you know, robotics um, gets introduced a lot into this conversation. What are the advancements that we're going to see in those use cases that are really going to drive how the network is being used? And I think, you know, as I already mentioned, that will that will help in determining the prioritization around what it is that we focus on. Great. I don't know if, if that answers your question. No, that was that was a very very cool answer, um, and actually touches on something I was going to ask you really quickly. We, um, you know, to kind of conclude our conversations, Kazu, if I met you in an elevator and you had to tell me what you do, tell me about NTT Research. What would you say in ten seconds? Yeah, so we are defining the future or creating a future. I would like to say what our word is upgrade the reality we just upgrade <laughs> nice. the future yeah of uh, that's what we do and uh, network is certainly one of the core uh, to make it happen and craig how would you tell me about i own in 10 seconds in an elevator we're trying to figure out what the requirements are for today and tomorrow so that we can build a network and network technologies that will be able to support multi-point data-centric computing in the network Awesome. Well, folks, thanks so much for being on the show and thanks to NTT Research for sponsoring the show. NTT Research is a Silicon Valley organization that conducts fundamental research and advances technologies that promote positive change for humankind. The organization focuses its research in three areas, quantum information, neuroscience and photonics, cryptographic and information security, medical and health informatics. NTT Research is part of NTT, a global technology and business solution provider. In January 2020, NTT, Intel, and Sony founded the Innovative Optical and Wireless Network Global Forum, ION. ION's objective is to accelerate innovation and adoption of a new communication infrastructure to meet our future data and computing requirements through the development of new technologies, frameworks, specifications, 
and reference design in areas such as photonics, R&D, distributed connected computing, and use cases, as well as best practices. And so I'm now joined by Matteo Doni. Hi, Matteo. How are you? Very well, thanks. How are you, Miriam? I'm well. Uh, what did you think of that? That was an interesting future of networking brainstorm. It's a, it's a real teaser. As a, as a technology enthusiast, I'm really excited about how quickly and how many cat pictures I'll be able to share very soon. I mean, that's always what it comes down to, right? Ultimately, it's about cat pictures. So, hey, we've got some news items to talk about to round up the rest of the show. We've got some reviews to talk about. Um, Apple stuff, obviously. Maybe let's start with that. Like the iPhone reviews are out, at least the two middle iPhones. Um, not the iPhone 12 mini, not the iPhone 12 maxi, as I've been calling it, which is the Pro Max, which has the crazy camera system. And I want to touch on that a little bit because we didn't talk about the camera system last week. And so you and I, camera nerds, we're going to be talking about cameras uh, with regards to the Mate 40 as well. So what's your quick general take on these reviews? Obviously, I don't have the phone, you don't have the phone, but you've read the reviews. Is it pretty much what you expected? Um, yes, it's what I've expected. But what worries me is the relatively short amount of time the reviewers have had with the devices. Um, I hope that they've put the devices through the right paces, but those cameras are a key feature in today's smartphones. And how much better are they than the previous generation? iPhone has always been a really easy camera for the average user to be able to take easy snapshots and performs really, really well in that context. Um, is it going to be competitive in the market, though, with other brands coming along with stronger ones? Uh, obviously, the, the resolution in terms of megapixels, we know that that's not important, uh, but there's been no major upgrade there compared to, to previous generations. Uh, what I am interested in is seeing Apple catching up in computational photography and how that's going to work out with things like portrait mode, night mode, uh, where they have lagged compared to, say, Google, Huawei, and even Xiaomi to, to a certain extent in the same yeah, price range. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But the initial reviews seem to be very positive. They're not... Uh, groundbreaking devices these are the middle ground ones but for most consumers these are the 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 devices to go to if they can the the consumers can afford them which in this day and age is actually a, a serious concern for these consumer electronics companies absolutely yeah no i mean look it's pretty much what i expected i'll be honest it's nice to see there's a few things that stood out but it's nice to see generally speaking that apple's pushing forward and that this is a bit more of an upgrade than I expected in some ways. I mean, beyond the 5G hype, which I'm over, <laughs> you're over, uh, you, you're getting a different phone than us in your market anyway. We're, we're all getting millimeter wave capable phones, uh, which costs more and are more complex. Uh, but it's true. Like, look, millimeter wave, it always sounds like that pie in the sky thing. But once you have it and you try it, it it's nice to have. I think it's not going to be the kind of thing you you use walking down the street or in, in your office or home unless you have like fixed 5G networking for, for as your main ISP at home. But I think it's it's going to be the big differentiator once we're back in stadiums, in concert venues, at airports and like terminals where we're constantly line of sight of these tiny Pico cells, right? I think that's when 
it's going to kick serious ass and i'm looking forward to that and you know it's important obviously in the us because verizon is you know just finally rolled out the sub 6 5g network so they're no longer just strapped onto a millimeter wave but at the same time all three carriers have millimeter wave here right we only have three now sprint has been absorbed by t-mobile so we have millimeter wave very very little bit of it on at&t and t-mobile and relatively speaking still very little bit still but more with uh, with verizon so i think it's important uh, but it's not what what i mean when i say the iphone stands out as a bit more of an upgrade than i expected what i mean is that you know it seems that they've done their work with the cameras for example f of 1.6 on all the lenses which is a pretty big deal bigger sensors as well uh, more sensitivity for the main camera you know, I also feel like the industrial design is tops. Like I always felt like the, I think the iPhone 4 and 4S were the pinnacle, like the proportions on that phone, like that was Steve Jobs at his best and probably his worst for the people who worked for him, uh, right? Because he really made the phone an object of jewelry. Like it, it feels like that was the first time we saw a phone. It wasn't the first time we saw a phone with metal construction or glass. It was the first time that we saw a phone that, pulled it off in a cohesive, coherent, one kind of design like that as iconic and still stands out today. I still feel the 5, 5S and SE, the original SE, are kind of frumpy in comparison. They just don't do it for me as much. They're thinner, yeah, they're, but the whole aluminum back with the top window at the bottom and the top is just not, not as refined to me, not as sleek, you know, and slick. True. Um, where the, the 4 and the 4S, the iPhone 4 and 4S uh, stood out was the retina display at the time it was really quite quite a thing and that yes as well but as a as a developer i have to say the iphone 5 the 5 se uh, and more more importantly the 5c were the real uh, groundbreaker because we moved away from the previous apple uh, aspect ratio and resolution and moved up a notch in terms of having a, a longer screen and being able to have more screen screen real estate to add features or 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 pretty things. Yeah, no, I mean that was needed for sure, but I feel like the proportions of the four were better. Like I don't know how to explain it. And I feel that those proportions are back with the 12 and the 12 Pro. And I think specifically those two because this is the thing that blew me away. They're, they're exactly the same dimensions. The cases for the 12, which is aluminum frame, and the 12 Pro, which is stainless steel frame, are identical. The measurements down to the millimeter are identical, and the screen sizes, of course, are identical. Yes, and more importantly, this is where we don't have the iPhone 12, uh, previously the iPhone 11 and the uh, XR, um, being the sort of substandard uh, cousins of the real iPhones. Uh, in terms of screen technology and resolution. Uh, what I will th do think will make a big difference, especially for those who get to see the devices in person, is having an AMOLED screen and a higher oh resolution screen. That's going to yeah. be the real differentiator that will sell more iPhone 12s, despite the rest of the specifications not being that big much of an upgrade. I think so too. I think it's kind of interesting that you're deciding right now between camera systems, mostly. Everything else is pretty much end materials in terms of the, you know, some people like the frosted glass better. That's on the back of the 12 Pro. Some people like the 
glossy that's on the back of the 12 better some might prefer the fingerprint happy stainless steel some people might prefer the aluminum i think i'm i'm on camp anodized aluminum personally um if i have to choose but um yeah look i think i think overall i think this is a this is a solid upgrade i'm more interested in finding out what happens with the iphone 12 mini uh, and what happens with the iPhone 12 Maxi, as I've been calling the Pro Max. And and actually, let's talk about the imaging sensor on that, because we forgot about, I forgot about bringing that up last week's podcast. So you saw the specs. This is the first phone that I'm aware of anywhere that has sensor-based OIS instead of uh, lens-based OIS. So it's it's not actually optical, it's sensor IS. Um, and that's something that we've only seen on cameras so far, like... You know, instead of the lens moving to compensate for your hands shaking, the sensor is moving and the lens is fixed. And that's actually a better way to do it, really. It's just very complicated and expensive. And, and it's kind of impressive to me that they pulled it off, right? Yes. What, what in the camera world we call in-body stabilization. Correct. Has come to the smartphone camera with uh, sensor stabilization. That's going to be exciting as well especially as it's going to be paired with that computational photography where Apple have promised us they're catching up or they're improving compared to the competition. Yeah, I think the other thing that also stood out for me with the 12 Maxi is the bigger sensor, much bigger sensor. Now, I don't think it's quite Samsung Galaxy, you know, Note 20 Ultra big, but I just looked it up and it's actually the big difference between that specific sensor to the 12 pro max is it's 1.7 micron versus 1.4 micron pixel size for the others and in addition to the to the sensor stabilization right yes and let's see how computational photography works into that uh, the average user won't be as excited about this as we are in terms of cameras but i'm sure that uh we'll start seeing our friends and family on instagram uh being able to Take better pictures, we hope. <laughs> I mean, remember, it's not just about friends and family. The audience listening here, they really want to know. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> like, they're the, we're all the camera nerds listening right now. I'm just excited to see that for the first time in a long time, the, the biggest phone has uh, some differences in cameras, right? Which we, we initially got with the Plus series when it was the first to adopt OIS and the first to get a second lens, remember back in the day? Yes. So... Yeah. In a way, um, Apple have reinvented Huawei's strategy with their their flagships or their flagship series. Yeah, I mean, in some way they have. Speaking of, uh, before we jump into Huawei and the Mate 40 real quickly, do you have any thoughts? I didn't put this in the notes, but it kind of makes sense to bring it up. Any thoughts on these iPad Air reviews that are popping up? Basically, the gist is that, to me at least, the summary is that why buy an iPad Pro until they update it. Right now, the iPad Air is the iPad Pro. Yes. Um, there are rumors of an upcoming Apple event in November, just before Christmas. That's right. November 17th is the rumor. But um, the iPad Air seems to be everything you need from an iPad, even compared to the previous iPad Pros. Yeah. And for, for most consumers, let's face it, the iPad Air is more than they'll most likely use, especially with the recently refreshed standard iPad, the iPad 2020. Indeed, yes. I'm excited. I mean, I'm 
I was thinking of buying an iPad Air. I might still do that. But I, I'm excited that we finally have a cheaper alternative to the Pro, which has better specs than the Pro right now in many ways. But that, that kind of thing shows where Apple is going. And what I'm most excited about, as you mentioned, is this Apple event on November 17th, which is a rumor right now. But that might be the time, the event, that they launch the new Apple Silicon-based Macs. So that would be fantastic. That's going to be really exciting from a, a pure technology standpoint, how they're moving a desktop platform to ARM. Uh, yep. Developers will be terrified uh, when these sort of shifts happen. It's, it's a worry. But uh, I'm sure that in the long run, everyone will adapt and it will be a, a good thing. Yeah, no, I think so. Uh, so shall we talk about the Crazy Mate 40 series? I also want to quickly say to the audience listening, that I finally published my unboxing of the Huawei P40 Pro Plus. I unboxed this thing back in July. So it's, it's, I'm just behind. So I finally published that video. If you want to see what that looks like close up and you want to see what it looks like compared to a P40 Pro regular, watch my unboxing video. I will link it in the show notes. So Mate 40 Pro and Pro Plus and Pro regular. What, what is your take? Um, this is exactly what we were expecting from Huawei is uh, their talk in the TikTok uh, product, flagship product series uh, launches for the year. So it's the new Kirin 9000 chipset, the flagship chipset. Five nanometer, right? Five nanometer and 5G. That's two fives. Two fives. And that's going to be the flagship chipset that will power Huawei phones for the foreseeable future, providing the, the current trade war uh, doesn't uh, impair them from the possibility of supplying those chips from fabricators. Uh, apart from that, we're looking again at some pretty amazing camera setups. Huawei through the kitchen sink at, at the, <laughs> again with a 50 yeah. megapixel main sensor uh, with 12 megapixel uh, wide angle lenses. Uh, sorry, no, there's a standard telephoto, 12 megapixel teles telephoto and 20 megapixel ultrawide uh, sensors. So really amazing, uh, amazing camera setups. But the Mate 40 Pro Plus brings a time of flight uh, 3D sensor, which will improve our selfies and, and uh, portrait shots uh, even more, depending on how you hold the phone. And uh, again, periscope telephoto lens for that extra zoom. On the Mate 40 Pro Plus, that's a 10 times optical zoom, uh, whereas the normal Mate 40 Pro has uh, the 12 megapixel telephoto periscope lens. Mm. Only five times optical zoom from a 12 megapixel periscope lens, which is <laughs> just bonkers. <laughs> Only. <laughs> a few years ago, this was science fiction, and now it's quite common. Yeah, I think uh, I feel like this is a a very much an echo of what we saw in the P40 specs, right? Like the the regular one is kind of a down-tuned version of the Pro, and then the Pro Plus is just like cranking it up to 11 with the dual telephotos, right? And so I think I'm excited about that. But I, there's one thing that's making me scratch my head, and I haven't found an answer yet. So if you're listening to the show, please hit me up on Twitter and let me know, because I'm curious, is anybody's caught this little detail? The ultra-wides on the Pro and the Pro Plus, on the Mate 40 Pro and Pro Plus, is only 20 megapixels this time, instead of 40, I believe it was, on the, on the P40 Pro. 
and the Mate 30 Pro. So, hmm. And there are rumors that it might be an RYYB sensor, which would be a first for an ultrawide, but I'm not sure. So, yeah, what do you think? Um, I'm quite excited about that. The wide-angle uh, lenses on the, on the Huawei Mate and P-series uh, cameras are always quite good. They don't have too much uh, distortion at the edges of the, the pictures. I mean, I felt that, to me, that's what the thing was about the, the Mate 30 Pro and the P40 Pro and P44 Plus as well, was that this wasn't just a 40 megapixel sensor. It was pixel binning on an ultrawide at 4 to 1 outputting 10 megapixel. That is bonkers. That means low light, especially with a fast lens. It means kind of incredible performance. And so I'm a little surprised that they would have gotten rid of that, you know? Yeah, so they've dropped down to the the 20 megapixel. How that works, I'm not sure. I want to see that in person. Uh, Who knows? Maybe their computational photography or the Leica uh, tuning they have for their cameras has removed the need for a 40 megapixel sensor. Maybe the 20 megapixel one is bigger pixels. I think for me, it's more a question of if this is an RYYB sensor, I'm on board. You know, it's basically the same as pixel binning at that point in terms of low light performance. But if it's just a regular sensor, unless the pixel sizes are larger, which we don't know right now, I think it's a step backwards. And I really hope they didn't do that. They didn't step backwards, you know? Yes. Well, we'll need to see. And more importantly, we'll need to see how available these devices are outside of the home market in China. The other thing that I noticed, and this could be a typo because I'm relying on GSM Arena, the awesome folks over there keeping a really detailed database of uh, phones. But the other noticing detail is that we have that 20 megapixel ultra wide on the Mate 40 Pro is f over 1.8, which is the same as the 40 megapixel was on the P40 and Mate 30, right? But when I go to the Pro Plus, the Mate 40 Pro Plus, it says the ultra wide is f over 2.4, which yeah. is weird that they would have a separate lens. Uh, maybe they're just saving a bit of money there, but that means to me we're going to get worse low light performance on the ultra wide of the Mate 40 Pro Plus than we're going to get on the ultra wide for the Mate 40 Pro. And that worries me a bit. <laughs> so lie. I can confirm that that according to Huawei's own website, that's 20 megapixel with. F over 2.4. On the Mate 40 Pro Plus? Yes. And what about the Mate 40 Pro regular? It's F over 1.8. Yeah, so they did. See, they did that. They, they cheapened out a little. So that's, I'm just a little worried about that. I mean, look, Leica and computational photography is, only, is one thing, but you can't go backwards like that. Like, especially when one of the killer features on the P40 series and the Mate 30 series was the ultra-wide. Like, that was, it's the best ultra-wide we've ever seen on any phone period, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. So that's the only thing that's kind of making me scratch my head. I mean, obviously, the the chip is going to be more efficient and faster. That's going to be great. Uh, it might be the last Kirin chip we see ever, which is kind of scary, but it also has crazy charging speed, 66-watt uh, wire charging and 50-watt wireless charging. Wow, right? I mean, if there's ever a phone you will be able to cook an egg on after it's finished wire- wirelessly charging, I think the Mate 40 Pro might be the one. <laughs> How they're doing wireless charging at that speed uh, is amazing. Uh, 
And I'm I'm worried about the heat dissipation issues at, at that speed. Yeah, they must have some kind of trick up their sleeve here. Um, I mean, this is one of the things about Huawei. They really know how to do hardware. What's the display situation here? I see that uh, the basic Mate 40 doesn't have, uh, has a single punch hole cutout and then the pill shape cutout for the other two, meaning there's probably a time of flight sensor. Yeah, there is for the selfie as well. Uh, but is this a waterfall display in the same crazy way as the waterfall display was in the Mate 30? Because I see a volume rocker now. So I feel like... We're back to physical buttons, right? Um, we see physical buttons on both the Mate 40 Pro Plus and the Mate 40 Pro. Um, it looks as if the, the waterfall display on the Mate 40 Pro Plus is a little bit more accentuated. I haven't seen the device in person, so I can't say, uh, but it seems that in the press images that I've been provided with, the Mate 40 Pro, you can see the buttons at the side, Whereas the Mate yeah. 40 Pro Plus has them slightly recessed to the back to make space for the waterfall display. A bit like we saw in the Mate 30 Pro uh, last year and the P40 Pro Plus this year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what it looks like to me. I'm going to link to Marquez's video on the Mate 40 Pro. Uh, I believe he's got a video out. I haven't watched it yet. My device is on the way, but I don't have it yet. So some people have received their devices. In this case, MKBHD data video. I am hoping to get my device in the next few days. So stay tuned. I'll have an unboxing video as soon as I get my hands on it. I'm super excited about this. I still am scratching my head a little bit about some of these uh, camera decisions here uh it seems to me that we are finally at a stage where we might have reached peak huawei with the p40 pro plus indeed um then again <laughs> you you and i are uh, currently without a device we're not uh, able to physically play with it uh, but on on paper uh and according to what we saw in the presentation huawei have again topped their their flagship series but I think it's not just about the phones. Huawei were quite heavily involved in accessories with this launch as well. Oh, yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. So obviously the, the Huawei Mate uh, 40 Pro and 40 Pro Plus have insane 66 watt fast charging. So this is the same. It's actually one watt faster than my laptop charges at uh, over USB Type-C. So it can the phone can charge faster than that. And uh, they have a power bank that charges just as fast at 66 watts. Wow. A power bank, a lithium battery, outputting that power over a cable is its amazing to me. This is the sort of science fiction we were looking at years ago. <laughs> it's happening. It's here. It's now. Uh -huh. So I'm excited about that. But as a selfie professional, I have to say the case they launched with the Mate 40 Pro Plus is the absolute winner. So it's a it's a normal case with a selfie ring light recessed around the camera module when the case is in normal mode, and that selfie ring light flips forward to act as a ring light for your selfies. So this is really revolutionary for selfies. So much for having a separate accessory you carry separately. This is a case with the ring light built in. Yeah. No, this is uh, this is exciting. I mean, I know you're the selfie king, so I think this makes sense that it would get you super excited. I think it's cool. I I feel like accessories are fun, and uh, I just don't want to pay for them. You know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> true. 
I wouldn't go out of my way to buy them, but I think I appreciate that people would, right? But the good news is both you and I uh, know that within three to four weeks on AliExpress, you can go out and buy uh, a compatible <laughs> yes. version or a similar case made for any other smartphone on the market. Uh, Indeed. So my only, my only hope is that uh, next generation, they improve on this selfie ring light case by including a Mockadile option. I was a bit disappointed <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Mockadile. Oh, damn. Mateo, why? I have to accessorize with my shoes. I know. Why will you need to get that case custom made for Mateo, right? Thank you. Um, I, I need to accessorize with my Mockadile shoes. As a Frenchwoman, you, you, you'll understand. I totally understand. No, absolutely. Essential. A couple of more things before we, uh, we sign off. I reviewed the OnePlus Buds Z from OnePlus. They were announced at the same time as the OnePlus 8 last uh, October 14th. And uh, we didn't get our review units in time for the embargo on 14th. So they sent us the devices like earlier this week. I've, I've had mine for a couple of days. I, I wrote a quick uh, review based on, uh, as you know, my, my background in audio is pretty extensive. It's pretty easy for me to make a, a good decision as to the sound quality of a product quickly early on. I'm I'm impressed overall. I feel like a 49 US dollars. There's a look, the reality is this, you can buy true wireless earbuds all day long on Amazon or Ali or whatever that are even cheaper than that, $29, whatever. But they all come from these no name you've never heard of, you can't really trust brands. And honestly, they think most of them sound like crap and performance is not really there. Um, there's lots of chipsets available today from Qualcomm uh, and MediaTek and whatever that allow true wireless earbuds to be made, and there's a proliferation of them. But if you're looking for something that you can rely on, that's a brand name, that's something, it's really hard to find something good for less than $100, definitely harder for less than 50 So, you know, the OnePlus Bud Z at $50, 49 you know, really hit the mark. They're, they're not the best sounding earbuds that I have by a long shot for True Wireless. They are not horrible though. They're decent sounding. They're bass heavy, which is not my thing, but if you're looking for bass heavy, they are your ticket. I feel that the high end, the trebles are a little too soft for me. I feel that I would like a little more crispiness and definition in that area for the cymbals and stuff to sound better. But the mids are lovely. Uh, the voices sound wonderful. Imaging is good. Uh, so they sound pretty damn decent for $50 and everything else about them is solid battery life, all that. They're water resistant. You know, you get all the goodness. You don't get wireless charging at this price, but USB type C, et cetera, et cetera. So my reviews on geekspin.co, check it out. I'll link it in the show notes. I also have an unboxing video in the show notes. Check it out. The last thing I want to say about that before I ask you what your thoughts are on where OnePlus is headed with things is that I wanted to mention that compared to the OnePlus Buds non-Z, which those cost $79, which were my, my favorite up to now, and now currently, by the way, on sale in the US for $59. So the price difference between the Buds original and the Buds Z is now $10. I think the Buds regular are a better product. I think that obviously they're, you know, they're meant to be $30 more originally. But sound quality-wise, I feel that they sound better. Actually, to me, they're one of the best sounding under under $100 branded True Wireless earbuds, the, the regular OnePlus buds. And that, that remains the case. The Buds Z has not, have not dethroned them. But I think that the reason this is a very delicate subject is because the Buds regular are like AirPods. 
they don't fit everybody's ear well. They are universal fit, which is a problem for people with big or small ears. They can be uncomfortable. They can fall off your ear. And the sound quality is highly dependent on how well they fit you. So they fit me perfectly and the sound quality is really good for me, but that's not necessarily the case for you. With the Bud Z, which are cheaper, because they have silicone tips, even though the sound quality is a little lower, in my opinion, you, you get a more consistent fit, right? And you can adjust the size of the uh, tips. They come with three sizes and you can get something that stays in your ear, feels comfortable to you. And the sound quality should be the same for everyone because of this consistency in, in being able to have good fit. So that's the thing you have to think about when you talk about True Wireless Earbuds. Your take, Matteo. I can't judge the OnePlus uh, audio products because I haven't had the chance to play with them. But I have to say the recent move since Apple went for the uh, AirPods Pro, having those silicon tips and being able to serve more customers, I think this has also improved the quality of audio most people are listening to. By having yes. those closed off ear canals, you don't have to have as high a volume, there's mm -hmm. less distortion, and you're less affected by outside noise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's very important to point that out because I think that the environmental effect, like the uh, passive noise isolation, is uh, very much a thing with these silicon tips. You don't get that at all with the other design. Yeah, I, I, I that's what's really important to me. And so uh, since long before the AirPods Pro, um, I was propensed to choosing those. And I have to say, there's the, the market as a whole is really interesting at the moment. Huawei have uh, their own uh, their own earbuds, uh, the, the Pro model, with the silicon tips, with excellent active noise cancellation. And I've also had the chance to use the LG Tone FN6 uh, earbuds. Mm-hmm. They probably are the ones that uh, you would like in terms of it's a much crisper, less bassy sound. It's tuned by Meridian, and ah. it's very, very good quality. So if you're listening to your cheesy pop music like Jennifer Page, you won't <laughs> you won't get that crushy bass in the background. Right. Uh, but if you're listening to audiobooks, uh, for example, on Audible in high definition in the high quality setting, the sound is surprisingly good and listening to good quality podcasts like the mobile tech podcast which is lovingly edited you actually notice <laughs> that difference in audio compared to say the tech travel geeks podcast <laughs> thanks mateo <laughs> you're too kind i don't think your podcast sounds awful either i mean come on yes well um i haven't uh, sadly our friend vlad savov uh, gave me podcast editing block after we recorded a three and a half hour podcast so people can listen to that podcast or watch it on YouTube, but I haven't got around to editing it yet. Ah, well, it'll come. It'll come. Look, I think True Wireless Earbuds are, are a thing. They're good now. They're there. They're here to stay. I use my uh, OnePlus Buds, not the Z, the, the, the previous model, uh, as my kind of go-to. I want to quickly listen to something while I'm walking to the store sort of thing, like casual listening. And I think for that, they've revolutionized the way we do things, and they're certainly not to be dismissed. Um, I don't really care about the design. I just want the best sound, and that's why I prefer the Buds Regular over the Buds Z, because even though the Buds Z are silicone tips, which technically should make them better, just the drivers aren't as, as good. And of course, you get what you pay for. But fit is an issue with the other design. And of course, to be clear, these don't have ANC or anything. They have some uh, noise 
canceling for the phone calls, like, you know, uh, noise suppression and, and basic uh, management. And they sound fine for calls. It's just more like I'm talking about, you know, you can't compare AirPods Pro with, you know, $50 OnePlus Bud Z. But if you do compare them, you'd be surprised at how well those OnePlus Buds perform, actually. So I've never been super impressed with the sound quality of AirPods and AirPods Pro in my world. There are better out there for less, like, in my opinion, the OnePlus Buds regular, but assuming they fit you, which is a big assumption to make, and assuming you're wearing them properly, which is also a big assumption to make, because we all have different ears. I do want to wrap up with one quick thing, because we do have to end this action-packed show the Vivo X50 Pro, which I finally, by the way, published my unboxing video. It's the same as the P40 Pro Plus, where I unboxed it months ago and never got around to publishing the video. So check out the link in the show notes. That phone has been recycled by Vivo into the X51 5G and is now being sold in Europe. This is the first time Vivo's come to Europe. Are you excited about that, Matteo? I am, yes, uh, because every time I've been to China over the last few years, I've been amazed by the apparent value the Vivo smartphones offer, their color ranges, and sometimes the crazy camera setups Vivo have. Uh, outside of China, I really had never heard of Vivo apart from tech demos, uh, such as the ones we saw at uh, GSMA and uh, Mobile World Congress. But it's good to see Vivo come in. They're part of BKK, so the same parent company as uh, Oppo OnePlus. Uh, so it will be probably addressing a slightly different market segment, but they're in, in, in Europe now, and especially in a time when people are maybe a bit more price sensitive with the job situation, the economy. Exactly. Vivo is going to probably do very, very well and sadly take market from some of the incumbents like LG and others. I think so. Look, I mean, if I have to look at all the phones I played with this year, to me, the Vivo X50 Pro, which is the same as X51 5G in Europe, is my second favorite camera phone after the P40 Pro Plus because it's the only other camera phone I have that has dual telephoto lenses. Uh, it has a 2X and a 5X optical periscope. And on top of that, that crazy gimbal main cam, which is the most stable thing I've ever used. It's not super great for video, believe it or not. Like there's some software tuning still needed to make video, the gimbal really work well for video. But for still photography, that gimbal basically turns, you can literally shake the phone up and down like a half an inch in each direction without noticing anything in the viewfinder. It's crazy. L less blurry cat photos then. Absolutely. More, most important thing. So yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is something called LTE on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of touched on it with my uh, friends over from uh, NTT Research, but this is a thing. When we get to the moon, supposedly in 2024, they're going to need to communicate with one another up there. And Nokia is partnering with NASA to bring LTE networking to the moon. Wow. That's going to be really exciting, and probably it will satisfy the need for more automation or robotics on the moon. Obviously, less human human capital, more machines that will need to communicate faster. And it will be interesting to see what bands and frequencies they use for that. There's nothing to, to ruin. There's nothing else <laughs> out there as far as we know. So yep. it may, may realistically be they could go as low down as 400 megahertz. 
uh, to yeah. get that signal out there. So think of those things. That, that's really exciting. I think it's really cool. Like, I mean, you know, I, I never thought of that. But yeah, once we're up there, we will need some sort of wireless technology. Cellular is probably the way to go. And, you know, yeah. So it's interesting. I think the big challenge for Nokia and NASA and all the companies involved in making this happen and the, whoever manufactures the, the terminal, the device, the phone, the tablets that they're going to use for that up there is, uh, you know, radiation proof, right? Like, because it messes with electronics big time, right? Yeah. So, so, so silicon may not be the preferred material. Maybe lead might be preferred. But I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be a bit flippant here and say, great, NASA has teamed up with Nokia for 4G on the moon. But let's face it, uh, the Chinese space agency and Huawei are going to be launching 8G at the same time on the moon, <laughs> just <laughs> on the other side. Yeah, on the other side. It's going to be like those crazy films we've seen where people are fighting on the moon. To stay on Nokia, I, ha I have to say, it is challenging times. The world economy is in, in crisis. Uh, we, we've just been talking about these super amazing high-end phones I would this week have been really surprised by Nokia's or HMD Global Nokia's uh, lower end uh, device, the new two series one, where for less than a hundred pounds or less than a hundred and forty US dollars, you're getting so much smartphone, and it's an Android One device, so it's an almost Google experience for right. less than a hundred and forty dollars. Yes, the camera is not the best, but you get a six and a half inch uh, HD plus screen which is not bad. The experience for the price is amazing. Uh, and I think that the trickle-down technology that we talk about week in, week out on our podcasts and in our coverage is actually making its way down there. If you compare, Absolutely. say, a $100 smartphone from five years ago to a $100 smartphone today, we're, we are living in the future. Oh, it's night and day. Oh, yeah. It's it's really amazing, and and I think we're seeing that in the mid range as well. I mean, look, I have a Moto E series, a 2020 version of that, on as well. I again another unboxing video I need to edit and publish, but um, it's about the same price as this Nokia you're talking about, and honestly, it's a fine phone. There's nothing wrong with it, you know. And with Moto's, this is not an Android one, but it's Moto's pretty streamlined, you know, skin if you want to call it even a skin. It's almost stock Android, so it's it's great. Yeah, no, I support that 100%. Um, if, if we think about it, you and I have been covering smartphones since the days of resistive Android touchscreen smartphones. Shudder, shudder. Uh, <laughs> nowadays, by those standards, there are no such things as bad phones. No, it's true. That's been the case, I think, for a little while now, too. Well, listen, we need to wrap up. So, Matteo, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, your various social media handles and all that good stuff? Sure. So on Twitter and Instagram, I'm Todoleo. That's Tango Oscar, Delta Oscar, Lima Echo Oscar. That's my handle. And they can follow the Tech Travel Geeks YouTube channel. Uh, just search for Tech Travel Geeks and you'll see not only smartphone coverage, tablet coverage, laptop coverage, but on Sundays we tend to do uh, drone videos. So videos filmed with our drones in Edinburgh and vicinity. Cool. And our chief aperture officer, Lukash, has recently opened up his Oculus Quest and is going to be doing some in-depth reviewing Ooh. of that. So VR as well. Nice. So that's uh, where to find me on the internet. How about you, Miriam? 
Well, folks, you all know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl on Twitter and Instagram. That's like the comic book character Tankerl, but without the vowels. So you should drop the vowels. T-N-K-G-R-L. Twitter is where you want to hit me up for discussing this show. Tell me what you think. Tell me whether that Mate 40 has an RYYB ultra-wide 20-megapixel sensor on the Pro and Pro Plus version. I'd be curious. And then on Instagram, you'll find pretty photos of phones and pretty photos taken with phones. That's kind of my MO there. Uh, finally, there's a YouTube channel, of course, that goes with the show, youtube.com slash mobiletechpodcast. This is where you'll find some complimentary visuals that go with the show. So check that out. I just, as I mentioned earlier, published a whole bunch of new unboxing videos there's also like some hands-ons and reviews in fact there's a bit of a mini review of these oneplus buds z on there right now so check that out and then finally if you came here first time and you want to subscribe to the podcast mobiletechpodcast.com is the url we're also on google podcasts apple podcasts pocket casts and spotify so you'll find us pretty much everywhere good podcasts have found please subscribe tell your friends all that good stuff and if you're subscribed to the podcast if your app lets you do it, please rate the show and or review the show. It really helps others decide whether they want to listen to the show or not. There's also a donate link in the show notes. If you can help me do this podcast every week, that would be great. Check it out. It's a PayPal link. It's down there. Anything helps. So consider donating. I appreciate it. I also want to thank our sponsor again, NTNT Research. We had a really interesting conversation about the future of networking. And Matteo, thanks for being on the show yet again. Well, thank you for having me. You'll have to join us on the Tech Travel Geeks podcast very soon. Absolutely. Let's make it happen. Well, folks, that's it. I'll have another show next week, so obviously stay tuned for that. But until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.